Hi everyone, I'm Eve Levy, and it has been such a pleasure to bring you week after week inspiring Jewish women up on this podcast platform. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I played this newly married game with my husband, and the group of people asked us the question, Daddy, if your wife could spend a weekend with one person, someone that is alive or not alive, who would she choose? And without missing a beat, my husband wrote on his paper, her bubby. And I had written the same thing on my paper. He got it. She has been the passion, the push, the heroine of my life. There is so much that I have learned from my bubby. And I'm so sad that she's no longer with us. My grandmother was from a large, illustrious family in Warsaw. And she survived as a sole survivor. Her stories are incredible, miraculous. I received a recording of her story that she shared with us in Portland. 150 people came to listen to her and it was the first time that she got up in front of such a large crowd. And I said to her afterwards, Bubby, at 98 years old, you are off to a great new career. She was on such a high from sharing her story sharing her truth, how important it is for us now to hold on to these stories as the survivors slowly fade away. So I have this today for you, a gift to me, a gift to the Jewish world, a gift to the world to keep these memories alive and strong. It's an honor and a pleasure to share my Babi Gota with you. My name is Gota Flesing. I was born in Warsaw in 19... 21. I'm very happy to be here with you all today. I would like to thank my granddaughter, Yvele. I always still call her Yvele because since she was a little girl, she's still my Yvele. My daughter-in-law, Harriet, who's amazing to me, and to Tia, who made sure that my stay would be comfortable. Can we have the first question? Could you describe life before the war as a teenager? Well, I was the oldest of my family. Seven children. We lived in Poland, Warsaw. My father had a story. He did carpentry work and renovation with his brother. My parents were good parents. Yiddish was a language spoken at home. Ours was a religious home, very traditional, and all holidays were observed. My mother was always baking for us, preparing hamantaschen for Purim, latkes for Hanukkah or other nights. In my family, we were the three brothers and four sisters, and I was the oldest, as I say before. The boys went to Jewish cater. The girls attended public school. We would walk to school. It was very far. I remember always living in the same apartment building and enjoying wonderful friends and neighbors. Our home wasn't too big, but my parents always made the room for the friends and family to be invited. They were wonderful parents. I completed my elementary school studies. I worked in a shoe store and other things at the age of 16, attending high school. In those days, was very, very rare. Anti-Semitism was beginning to be felt everywhere. When my father and his brother were working on government jobs, people used to throw stones at them. And Parson was very close to Jews. Our non-Jewish friends and the neighbors and our apartment building started to behave different toward us. 
Once the war started in 1939, they avoided us entirely. They would ignore us completely. My youth was very nice with my friends, was wonderful. But when the war started, everything finished. Everything was just not the same. We have question number two. On behalf of my wife, Leah, and myself, Yosef Katz, thank you so much for coming today. My question is say that there were seven children. Could you describe the apartment? We had two rooms. One sleeping, one in a bed. There were sometimes three in a bed. The bedroom was at night was a bedroom. During the day, it was a living room and a dining room. We changed the bed and the table and put on a nice, beautiful tablecloth with a nice, beautiful flowers in the middle and a nice bedspread. The floor was painted. My father did it. And in the kitchen, I was sleeping with my sister, and we had an auntie, an old auntie that was sleeping, being, being all, she was all alone. And she didn't have where to go. She had one sister in America. And from time to time, the sister used to send her $20 or something. When she sent to her $20, she sent for us $10. And the $10 at that time was $100, which was a lot of money. So it was a big help. We didn't let her go, even though we needed the space. But she was with us for many, many years. Till the world started, you know. Could you have the next question, please? Did you ever hear about Palestine during your teenage years? Where we lived in our apartment building, just so happened one of the big uh, apartments was empty. That time, maybe I was 12 years old or something. I hear dancing and the singing, and so it looked like that uh, Zionists rented this apartment there. Did I know that time about Trumpeldor? Did I know about all the others at my age? We didn't have the radios. We didn't have too many papers, for, you know, to read. Only my father had a Jewish newspaper, and it was very hard. I enjoyed so much. And my mother said I was a young girl. She always come home, come home, and I wanted so much to be there. And I used to dance with them, the horrors, and all the places I enjoyed it so much. They made me in charge of the, a nice uh, little table for the, for the people that come in. I was in charge of it, I was in charge of buying things. I was even a, in charge on a, on a pingboard table that they used to have for, for 10 cents. They played uh, 20 minutes or something. I enjoyed it, and they liked what the work I was doing for them. And it displayed me a lot of pride and sometimes uh, like Bomer. We all were dressed with uh, little skirts, no pants, didn't see pants at all. A nice uh, little skirt, a white little shirt and a blue tie. And we were singing, all singing that we wanted, would like to have peace in Palestine. At that time it was Palestine, it was not Israel yet. And we enjoyed it, we enjoyed it, mind you. The Polish people, even though they were anti-Semite, but they understood that this is our holiday, and they let us do it. But go, we were walking and singing and playing. I enjoyed that, mind you. It was really beautiful. How did you meet your first husband? As a young teenager, I had many friends, and my friends had brothers, and to the brothers came other friends. And we had a nice time sitting and singing and talking, and... Uh, just so happened at one time, the girls uh, went to a movie and I didn't go because it's something I don't know what it had. And said, so, oh, if you would know, what can you miss? Something's beautiful. There was this gentleman says, oh, I also didn't see it. And the girls say, why don't you both go to the movie? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, he invited me to come to the movie. I enjoyed the movie, but okay, went home, but that's it. But another week, he just phoned me again. Not phoning, but we were meeting by the friends. And he said, can I take you to, to another movie? Yeah, something beautiful. Uh, it was playing with Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> and some of the movies were not yet talkative yet, but, uh, but we enjoyed being there. It was very nice also. It started, you know, it was that time. It was uh, December time already. And was was working then at the time. But he always made the time to ask me to go out with him from time to time. Um, and my mother used to ask me, where are you going? <laughs> I said, I'm going to my friends. <laughs> and I mean, I think, yes. <laughs> but then finally he asked me if he can come to my, our house. My mother allowed. And because of them, he also prolonged my life. Because their house, it was, he had, they were three sisters and three brothers. One sister that I was very close with her before the war that I met her very much. She liked me very much. She went to Russia with her husband, with a boy, with that son of four, five years old. The other sister just made it to Africa. Just one in 1938. Went also, also to a cousin that wanted to marry. He married her in Africa there. A brother went in 1935. Also, somebody came and he got married in, uh, in Warsaw, and then she brought him to America. So the two were left. One only, a sister that was with me in, in the camps in the, you know, in Auschwitz, that she lived through, but she lived through the war, yeah. And she went also to Africa. How did he prolong your life? By taking me to their house, because he started to work in that factory of the fur, and they had that fur machine at home, and he taught me with so much love and patience. It was very hard because fur, you have to put in the fur inside, and outside there shouldn't be nothing there. It has to be so straight. I never <laughs> would never think that I would be able to do it. But the way he showed it to me, I learned. At home by me, by us, my father was very sick that time also. And I used to come always bring them something. Sometimes he used to get some piece of bread there or more a little bit. I used to bring it to the house. Because when I went sometimes to my boyfriend that time, he was my fiancé already. Because we were supposed to get engaged just before the war. But before the war broke up, so he didn't know where to go, what to do. And mind you, when the war even broke out, one of his sisters, my sister, my cousins, a few cousins, and my boyfriend that time, they wanted to go to Bialystok, if you heard about it. This was one where the Russians started to come toward, and that's where they stopped, the Russians. Even though later on, the Germans pushed them so much farther into Russia back, but they stopped near Bialystok. And people started to run to Bialystok. And you came so many people from all the small towns around there. You didn't have where to be there. You didn't have where to sleep. You Me and my sister and my the cousins, we slept on the floor. Sometimes we had to pay $2. Night just to sleep over and just sleep in the morning because they didn't want anymore. And uh, it was very hard. And I said, we said, you know what? Let's go back home to Poland. We didn't see 
it this was a time that uh, some of the people were going um, to to China to other places, but uh, we had to wait a long time for all these things. And we saw that we cannot. We had still the house. My parents were still alive. The sister's brother was still, and we didn't expect still what will happen. Where were you and what happened when the war began? I was in Warsaw. Our whole family was in Warsaw. We were there. And yeah, and that it was very, very, very hard to take it in the beginning because right away they didn't make the ghetto yet. But then a few months later, when we had already the ghetto, that's when it started to get worse and worse and worse because we couldn't go out. My mother was a very wonderful person that she was not afraid she used to sometimes go through or jump up a, a street guy used to pass by our streets my mother used to take something to sell something and to be able to bring some food from the police other side there she just jumped in she just took a chance to jump in into the street car and the same thing she did when she came back just because to bring some food for the children and one night even she went down to buy some bakeries things to be able to even to sell it outside. And she went down and she just, it was dark and she fell and she just had her bone color and she broke it and you cannot put it in a cast. So we, we went somewhere, we begged somewhere a doctor to come and do something for her, but um, he just put an all around here with uh, some plasterets and she was lying in bed. She was in terrible pain all the time, but she was just wonderful to do it for her children. My father died only because we didn't, we didn't have medication for him. He was still a young man. When I came, I saw my father on the floor with candles behind him and my sisters and they always sitting and crying. It was hard, but we had to call the superintendent from the apartment. And what do you think they did? They called the Jewish organization there and they brought a big wagon. And he was not the only one there. He was just thrown in like a sardine inside. And we didn't know where they took him, where they took him. But he was not the only one, that's what was happening. There was no funeral alone. They burned them, the bodies. That's what they always did to the other people. Can you tell us what happened during the Warsaw Ghetto? Terrible. We had no food. We killed the little children lying on the street. Their stomachs swollen from hunger. There was another selection. They used to come, tell the people come down from the house. I was fortunate two times to come home and save my family because I had my car that I'm working for the German factory there. It was like, I don't know how it says, for Spasher, I should be alive still. But when I came once, back, I was working at night time and I came in the morning and the door was open. They were all taken away. I was sitting on the stairs, crying my eyes out. I just went into the house, took out a little valise, only the pictures. Everything was stolen from the house. 
It was an empty house, but at least I took this little valise. But I always mention every time that even this little valise, they took it away in my Danik when I came to the first concentration camp. So as I say, I don't even have a picture of my family, nothing. But I have them always in my mind. My sleepless nights are always with them. I don't know, I always talk to my dear daughter-in-law, what I can do, I cannot fall asleep and I'm just seeing always my past. Even though I had beautiful times also when I was young and enjoying it, but this I cannot forget. The way all these things happen, I couldn't save my, my family. Not one, not one of them. Yeah. In, in the uprising, the ghetto uprising. Well, well, the, the uprising was in the, in the ghetto that was, was called the, the, wild. the wild ghetto. Those were the people that weren't working and they were running from one place to the other because the, the, the houses were bombarded there. But still they, they wanted to, you know, to survive. Maybe, 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 maybe the war will be ending next week, maybe next month, maybe this. Then suddenly came the time and they started, we don't go to, to work. But before it is still this time, the men started to make bankers. But usually they make a banker under the stairs or something. But by us, they made a banker. Some of the men were working hard. You know, it was even when it was quiet by the time, but maybe the time will come and we'll be able to, you know, to go in the banker and be, be, be safe. And they make a banker above us on the third floor, the last floor, before the... The attic, the room. Yeah, the right, the, all the doors, yeah. They closed the door from the third floor. You will never say that there was a door. It was so straight. And we went with our stepladder up on the top and made a hole and used to go down to the banquet. They made the bank beds and we used to go and bake uh, halas. But the Germans knew that people were still hiding. They knew how many people they're supposed to have that were working for the, for the, you know, for the company. So what did they do? They closed the lights. They closed the water. We had to come out. We didn't have the water. We didn't have the lights. We had nothing. We didn't have nothing what to do. So we just had to come out. And the outside, you always sit with big trucks. And people were they were pulling people, people were coming out because of this reason. Yes, and where did they take us? They took us uh, to the Umschlagplatz, where all the trains were waiting for us. But sometimes we had to wait a few days because it was so full of people that we had to wait till they're going to take us. And, and finally it came our, our time to come. The trains were terrible, just little, little windows, and they pushed in so many people in them. And it was May that time, and it was so hot. We didn't have a little bit of fresh air to have. We were begging just to go to a little window to just let us please a little bit. They didn't let us just, people were just lying dead practically, because it took, it took quite a while till we came to Maidanek. Yeah. And then they took us over there. They took away all our things. 
but only whatever we were, that's what we got. Uh, we went to the banks. And they used to take us to work every day, to outside on a rainy day, or was it a cold day, or was it a hot day? It didn't matter to them. And um, one night they took us out from all the banks, and we were supposed to go to the gas chambers. But it looks like lots of transports were coming again, and they let us back. And then the following day, they took us to Auschwitz. They didn't know where we're going, but it is in Auschwitz, because they took everything up from us, and we were staying in the line. We didn't know why we were staying in the line, but we had to make the, the numbers, on everybody's numbers. And then they, they shaved our heads, I have a beautiful head that we had. It was just a little kerchief. When we came out, we couldn't recognize each other. We took the girls, and then they were taken to the barracks. And there were all kind of barracks. Some were lucky to play to work somewhere, to be under under just a roof, to have a your head. But somewhere where I also I worked outside, it was, I don't know, what can I say? I don't know how I survived it. The same thing, going in the raining weather, sweeping, putting in straw into some, for the, for the soldiers where to sleep, the mattresses. We were lying down. They were bringing some little food, just at 12 o'clock, a little bit of water, water soup. You were not supposed to push each other. I always was avoiding, because otherwise you would get over your head from a German woman. This was the hardest time to go and work outside the water. One day, I was just sleeping, maybe two months or something after this. Uh, they gave us coats, like for the winter to put on. But they didn't, they just gave you a coat. It was long, it was short, was it whatever. I got a coat, it was a double one, something. You know, people went, they told them they're going to work. They always put in one coat and another one. So I figured, okay, I'll be warm properly with it. One night I was lying in bed. We used to lie five, six girls where I was. We were on the top. Some of them were under, under, and the middle one, I was, was on top. And I was lying, and I was so cold, so I took my coat and covered myself. And suddenly I touched something on my, on my shoulder, and I touched it, and I touched it, and I see that something hard is it. I didn't say nothing to nobody. And I came the next day, I was sitting in a corner, and I opened it, and I noticed two nice rings. What do you do with the rings? What, what, what do you do with them? But I had... As I say, my, my sister on there, after I married my, after my husband, his sister was there. And she was lucky always to work inside there on the premises. Practically never she went outside. They were so, they, they, you know, you know the, but the people were bringing uh, from, uh, they were taking away the parcels and, and sorting all the kind of things. I went to her, I cried to her. I say, maybe you can do something. You know the people outside more than I am because I always work outside. I just want to have a roof over my head to work somewhere because I just feel I'm, I cannot do it anymore and I, I'm falling apart. 
And she said, okay, give it to me, I'll try, I don't know. And uh, after a few days, a lady came, I, I knew who she was. And of course, I was not a name, I was a number. If they call you, it was all a number, not a name. And she called my number, and she said, come as a, a rouse. And she said, you're going to, okay, in German, you're going to work to this in this company. The Schuckermann, that was called, you know what? We were sitting and cutting up the shoes, taking the salt, salt separate, and this separate, and this is separate. But we were sitting, you know, 10 girls and with, at the tables. We at least were talking, and we were working, and we were crying, and we were teasing. We but at least they saved me a little. But still, another time, another time, I woke up in the morning and I feel, oh my God, my head is turning around. And the girl said, you better come up. You know, you know what's going to happen if you're going to stay here. So I went, yeah, I went to work. But I just, you know, we were very close, the girls that we were working at least, and they were taking care of me. The next day, I couldn't also go already to work. So I went to one of a friend that worked at time, and she said to me, see, she was not afraid that I have such high fever. She says, come, when the people will come back, you're going to just join them again. But on the third day, I just couldn't anymore. So they took me to the hospital, and there were like maybe five, six or seven women, and suddenly came a, dad, a girl, and she says to me, what are you lying like this? You're not even having a little bit of water. You want to die? I said, no, but I, I just feel that the, the whole place is turning around. And she had a sister that she used to bring her at night something. They were working together. I'm sure that some people know the story about them. Her name was Esterka. And she always said, open your mouth. And she used to give me a little bit of sugar. You're going to want to die. Anyways, after two days, they call you down. The Germans come in. They tell you enough. Now we're going to see if you're going. If not, you're going to the crematorium. And I say to her, no, I cannot because I think the whole place is still. She says, you are going out. You are going with me. I don't know. I'm going to hold you. Just, see, we, we just have to pass by a few minutes. In three seconds, and we're going to, the gentleman says, they, and we were passing by. But just be straight. I'm going to hold your hands tight. I always say, she saved my twice, but I couldn't save her life. Why couldn't I save her life? She was working with the system, and, uh, and they found out that some people wanted to burn uh, one of the crematoriums. They found out that the powder came from this factory where she lived. And one day we come in from work, and they make us stay outside. And she with three other girls were hanged before our eyes. That's why I said she saved my life, but I couldn't save her life. And I saw her hanging. Her sister was taken away from her. The girls were hiding the sister. She shouldn't see that the sister. There's so many other things that happening that we saw. If somebody ran away, you know, sometimes a Polish somebody there that they were working with the Kapos, they called us. And they were cut on the way. And the same thing happened. They always used to call us down. 
to see how they were hanging the people that ran away. We didn't have where to run. Tell us about some of the miracles that happened during your years in the concentration camp. When we used to have a selection, we always had it naked. So sometimes we used to come from work. You come, you see Arbat Fry to the right. There was the, it was called the signer where we used to go sometimes have a shower or something. So when we came and we saw a bunch of white maybe there on those beautiful uniforms, the shiny ones, Germans. So we knew already what is expecting, who, who will be free, who not. And they said, our seen, our seen men, get undressed. And we put everything on top. And one by one, we had to pass by to see if God forbid, and I was taken away, the other side. And not only me, some more people were. Where did they take me to Block 25? Block 25 was a dead block. This was a block where you were taken to the crematorium. You didn't go out alive. What happened? Another miracle. A very big transport arrived from France or from Belgium or all around. And they didn't have where the people were to, to put them for the meantime. They opened the door and they told us to run. Our, the girls from our bunker, they cried when they saw us coming. They couldn't believe that we are alive. This was the block 25. Looks like it was a time that we said, where's God? Look what he's doing to your people. We used to go out in the middle of the night sometimes to the bathroom outside in the cold weather and the rainy weather. And we used to hear the trucks driving the people to the crematorium. And they were, oh, they were crying. It was so painful. We heard it so many times. All the transport that used to come, we have just across, like where the exit is, there was a crematorium. And we were on top. We had the little windows. We could see the transport staying and waiting in line. And they were shown that we are working. You see where you're going to go? You're going now. You go, you're going to have your shower. And you go into the place, to the camp where the people, you see the people are working there. But those people never came back. We saw, we saw right away, we saw the, the Bernick crematorium, the fire going out. Didn't know what the next day is for us. We still have to take it. Why can't you see, why can't you do something that we should be able to run away, to be close to our people, to our... We still believe maybe somebody's still alive. Maybe we'll be able to live through this war, this terrible war, and be able, like me, now to come and tell you the story. But there is so much more and so much more. And every one of us have their own story. And you better believe that whatever you hear from anybody, what we tell you, that it is true. I'm so happy that we're here with young children and they should be educated and know just because we were Jews just because we were Jews. And it's so good to educate our future generations. They should know what was happening to the Jews in 1939, that terrible war that lasted from 1939 till I was freed in 1945.
which was six years. We were freed so by the Russians at that time until we came even to Poland to see maybe somebody's alive, but there was nobody. And it was very hard even to come back and the arrangements, and we didn't know, we didn't know where to go because some people were freed even in January. But when we had that bad match, when we left in 1945, people used to fall on the floor on the, on the earth. It was January. It came just five o'clock. They told us we used to go with a very old German because the young ones were running away somewhere, who knows, to all other countries to hide. But they left us with old ones. And they used to tell us that we should lie down. Whatever it was, we should lie down. So sometimes I used to, there was sometimes a barrel of some, something. I put my head at least in. No wonder that my feet are hurting me, hurting me so much. We were on the snow, lying on the snow, till it started to get lighter. I walked farther and farther. We didn't know where we were going. What happened after you were liberated? The liberation. We were very far, deep in Germany. And we were walking and walking, and the Germans were shooting on one side, and the other side, the Russians were shooting. Always we hear them back and forth, even though it was practically the war was finished in, like in, in some places. And sometimes some of the men took up their shirts and they hang it out to show them at least they shouldn't shoot. Um, to know that we are just from the camps, that we are just people that work there, and they shouldn't shoot us because they didn't know. Until one day, we didn't hear any shooting, which meant that the war was ending. And we were just left, we didn't know where to go, where we are. But uh, the Russians started to approach us, to bring us food, to bring us uh, uh, things, you know, to, to wear, we didn't have the produce to take us to some places and stores just to have something to put on because we used to be with those blue and white, you know, from the camps. We didn't have nothing else in the house, but it wasn't easy. Then after we survived, we didn't have where to go and the transportation was very bad. Till we came, it took us months to come to Poland to see if anybody's still there or we can find somebody, we used to go to, to the Jewish communities to see maybe, maybe somebody's there, but we couldn't find anybody. And at the end, we noticed that uh, the Polish people in Warsaw were very mean and they didn't care that we survived the war because they took all our things away from us, the, the houses and everything. And then we went to, we went to another place, Lodge, which was also a very big town there. And there were more people with survivors already when we came. The same thing again. We didn't have to go. We didn't have a place where to be. We always used to be a few girls together, six, seven girls, seven. And we didn't have to stay. It wasn't actually nice that they didn't give us the right place after this war. We stayed somewhere in an attic, and it was, it was no beds. You know. It was not nice at the beginning, not at all. That we started, uh, you know, uh, started to work at something. We tried to, to say that to forget. We couldn't forget what we went through. Even though people say forget it already. It's enough. It's enough of talking. Yeah, there are people. I'm sure that you all know. 
that they say it's enough already talking about it. But how can we forget? How can we forget? Why should we forget? Why should we tell the young people what happened just because we were Jews? Just because we were Jews. What did my little brother, who was seven years old, lying on the floor, what did he do something wrong? What did I do wrong? What did my other children, my brothers and sisters, but not only my, but all others, beautiful people with the children, and just went, okay, this Hashem, just because we were Jews. What is the answer to all these things? No, I cannot find the answer. It hurts my, my sleepless night. I see all my past all the time. I said to my dad, you know, what should I do? She said, I'm going to take it to a doctor. It hurts a lot. It hurts a lot. And it's not easy to lose. But I'm very lucky, as I say, that I married after the war a very nice gentleman. I was lucky to have children. Many of us couldn't have children because we didn't have our periods for two years there. None of us, yeah. I don't know, some people say that they gave something, this, but we didn't. And so some of the, you know, gifts was very hard, but I was fortunate after I married my late husband to be a wonderful son who's right here with me. And then I had a daughter after a few years later, but I had them also were not so easy with a C-section. And we were in the DT camps later on. So it was not also so such a picnic before we came to Canada. And those beautiful two children, I had seven grandchildren, beautiful ones. And from those seven grandchildren, I have kind of horrid, kind of horrid, 28 great grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> and as I always say, they prolong my life. They prolonged my life, and I love him so much, always. Mm -hmm. My children are so close, but brought so much love to me. And how they teach their own children, how to be behave to elderly people, and to be, you know, good Jews. The holidays, every holiday, it's just so precious. Even when I'm now, will you believe that I was sitting at the Seder till three o'clock? <laughs> He's our rabbi. He's our rabbi. And he said to me, Bobby, you're just like a teenager. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate your coming. It's hard for me to talk. There's a lot more, a lot more, a lot more to say. But thank God that I've survived. And I'm the one that, at my age, being 98 years old, be able to remember it so much. <laughs> I always say to my friends or to my family, it's so wonderful that I still understand what you're saying to me. I said, oh, okay, I gave it to you, but I'm not going to check every group. I will do it.
that is my privilege because if you want something, just you yourself, but you get <laughs> But when she went, came to Poland, and she went to my street where I lived, I still have the letter that she wrote to me. She said, Bobby, I saw the streets you lived on. I saw the house you lived in, and I also saw the concentration camps you slaved in. Now to educate people more, and to show more people what was happening to our people. Thank you. <laughs> we thank you, Bobby, for being the inspiration and for surviving in every sense of the word. My grandmother has a beautiful voice. She used to sing a lot. So maybe we'll end. She'll just sing us. Bobby, will you be okay to sing? Her favorite song is You Light Up My Life. Okay, you guys can all sing with us. Not the whole thing. Don't you light up my life. You give me hope to carry on. You light up my days and fill my night with love. Why should it be wrong my love. Thank you so much for being here with us and for keeping her memory alive and strong. We need to share these stories with the next generation. We need to build a bright future for our people and for mankind. I'm sending so much Blessings to you all and gratitude for you joining us and being a part of this journey. Thank you.